We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or, of course, on your trusty computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music, and we carry on for three-plus hours of uh, great sounds for you and uh, all kinds of... um, different styles of jazz and different people that, uh, whose music we explore. And uh, what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is playing albums that were initially, this is sort of the project for um, this month of November, and uh, we've been doing albums that were initially low-rated. Some albums uh, became classics, um, like the last two jazz features we we did, they were initially very low rated in in uh, the jazz publications like Downbeat and Metronome and um, magazines. And back in the day when people were buying records, the um, five bucks for a record uh, was uh, something that you kind of had to budget for unless you were loaded with money. Um, so you uh, were very select in, in what you bought, and sometimes you didn't know much about an artist or whatever, or you may have heard of the artist, and uh, you read a review, and you see a, re- a review that's not too good, so you just skip the record. You, you don't bother buying it, and sometimes you don't bother listening to it. Um, that was the way it was done. These days, with the accessibility of, of music and so on, and, and the fact that uh, most listeners really don't, don't pay too much attention to critics anymore, they like what they like. And, and jazz fans and jazz people are uh, basically the same. However, um, these sales uh, or, or these reviews um, did... Uh, sometimes negatively affect an artist. Now, if an artist was well-established, then uh, a poor album, it didn't matter because the artist had already uh, developed an audience and and a fan base uh, for the music, so people were willing to sort of say, well, that's fine, let's check out this album anyway and, and find out it was really good. And, of course, uh, so many of these esteemed critics really missed the boat on, on some uh, classic albums. So the last two albums that we did feature um, in the first two weeks of November, um, they actually became classics. And uh, this one tonight is a little different because this artist was basically unknown to the jazz community. And... He recorded an extremely fine album that we're going to hear, and it got one star in Downbeat, which is a poor rating, and it was dismissed. The album was dismissed in a paragraph that the music was inconsequential. It wasn't contributing to the great mainstream of jazz, and um, the performances were um, uh, performance was mediocre and um, basically dis- dispensable music, and um, with no uh, played with very little imagination and 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 very little taste. 
that was kind of the gist of the review and, and, and one out of five stars. The person involved here, I'll tell you a little bit about the artist on the album. Um, the music, the album was issued on Blue Note Records. Uh, it only got one issue because of the rating. Um, it was only issued once, and then it very soon it was never reprinted again after the first pressing, and and consequently became a little bit of a collector's item. But unfortunately for the artist, um, that was basically the end of his career for Blue Note Records. Now we're talking about. A wonderful saxophone player who was born in Atlanta in 1929. He'd be 90 years old t- today uh, if he's still alive. His name, Fred Jackson. Now, Fred could really play. Um, he was kind of uh, influenced by uh, some of the great big-sounding tenor players like Gene Ammons and so on. So there's a similarity in style. And he was uh, a very, very fine musician. And he worked mostly uh, with R&B artists. Um, He played with Wilson Pickett. I played with Little Richard, played with B.B. King. But most prominently, he played with the great Lloyd Price, and he was Lloyd's um, musical director in his band. And uh, there were a lot of jazz musicians that that had their roots in in, uh, R&B music. John Coltrane played a lot of that stuff. Um, and so many other artists, and um, then came into the jazz world. And, and Fred Jackson, um, well, that's, that's what happened to him. And, uh, uh, of course, he's um, really going to reflect his background as well. About a decade later, another very fine uh, saxophone player came from an R&B background, and I played his music uh, a number of times, and he, of course, became very prominent with Charles Mingus. And I'm talking about George Adams. And George Adams was from Georgia as well, and his background was with, uh, with R&B musicians. And, of course, he developed into, a, of course, an amazing saxophone player. Unfortunately, this did not happen to Fred Jackson. Now... Fred had already recorded with legendary organist Babyface Willette. He appeared on Babyface's second Blue Note album, and um, Alfred Lyon, the head honcho of Blue Note Records, took a liking to Fred as a person and as a, as a musician, of course, liked the way he played, and offered him a record date. And... Alfred Lyon produced this date, of course, on Blue Note. Fred brought in a wonderful little band, uh, very tight, with um, a gentleman named Earl Van Dyke on the Hammond organ. And Earl Van Dyke went on to play with a whole bunch of Motown people later on and became uh, worked with Marvin Gaye and all kinds of people, worked for the, uh, 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 the great Detroit uh, Motown label under Barry Gordy. Anyway, Earl Van Dyke, a very, very capable organist uh, who was also employed by Wilson Pickett, uh, um, by Lloyd Price at the time. And on guitar, a very fine, unknown guitar player, but he could play, his name, Willie Jones. And on bass uh, or on uh, drums, 
Wilbert G.T. Hogan. Now, he played with a lot of people. He played with Kenny Dorham. He played with Lionel Hampton. Wilbert Hogan was a very, very fine drummer. And, of course, he's the drummer on this date. Now, the album kind of, uh, as I said, uh, was issued on Blue Note Records. The album was called Hootin' and Tootin' with Fred Jackson. And um, you get the idea that this is kind of uh, blues-based jazz. Um, Fred wrote uh, eight of the compositions, or, or seven of the compositions, I'm sorry. And, um, uh, of, of course, the, the band, as I mentioned before, is, is very tight and uh, really delivers a fine foot-patten message. And uh, this is kind of uh, warm-blooded jazz to, uh, to warm you up on a, well, at least in Vancouver, on a drippy uh, November evening. And this is an album that make you feel a lot more comfortable and toasty. And the music on here is, uh, is very uplifting. Sad to say, uh, to continue with the Jackson story, of course, it was eventually issued and uh, given this terrible review in Downbeat magazine. And um, that was basically the end of Fred Jackson's recording career because the album didn't sell. And Fred did another session later on um, with basically the same people, uh, a second recording, but it was never issued. And uh, it was only when the CD was, uh, was put out years and years and years later that um, they issued um, the original album, Hootin' and Tootin', and the second session that Fred recorded. So that's basically his jazz legacy, other than his appearance on the Babyface Willette record. So whatever happened to Fred, I have no idea. Um, that's it. Uh, I know that he went back to uh, playing R&B and uh, worked in the R&B um, circuit uh, for many years. And as I said, whether he's still alive, he'd be 90 now, likely maybe not uh, alive, but uh, we have this marvelous recording. And that's what we're going to hear on the jazz feature. So the album's called Hootin' and Tootin'. And once again, Fred Jackson on tenor saxophone, Earl Van Dyke on the Hammond organ, Willie Jones on guitar, and Wilbert Hogan, or G.T. Hogan, on drums. Same person. Sometimes he recorded under G.T. Hogan. Other times he recorded under Wilbert Hogan. But it's the same guy. We'll run down the compositions, all of them written by Fred Jackson. First one's called Dippin' in the Bag, and the second one is called Southern Exposure. Tune number three is called Preach, Brother. Tune number four is the title track, Hootin' and Tootin'. Tune number five is entitled Easin' On Down. Tune number six is entitled That's Where It's At. And tune number seven is entitled Way Down Home. So here, then, is the warm-blooded and fun music of an extremely talented musician who deserved more. And as I said uh, before, this was the one record review that literally affected this man's uh, recording career, and it's kind of sad. And as far as I'm concerned, 
this is one damn fine record. And I would give it, if I was rating it today, I would give it at least four stars. In my humble and not so humble opinion. So here we go. The music of Fred Jackson. Thank you. 
And, ladies and gentlemen, that's our jazz feature this evening. The warm-blooded, bluesy, straightforward music of Fred Jackson and company. And uh, this album was initially issued on Blue Note Records. The title of the album is Hootin' and Tootin'. And we heard Mr. Jackson on tenor saxophone, Earl Van Dyke on the Hammond organ, Willie Jones on guitar, and Wilbert G.T. Hogan on drums. And all seven tunes were composed by Fred Jackson. And we began with uh, one called Dippin' in the Bag. The second tune was entitled Southern Exposure. Tune number three was entitled Preach, Brother. Tune number four was the title track, Hootin' and Tootin'. And tune number five was entitled Easin' On Down. Tune number six, entitled That's Where It's At. And tune number seven, Way Down Home. This album was recorded in, on February 5th, 1962 at Rudy Van Gelder's studio for Blue Note Records. Alfred Lyon, the head honcho of Blue Note, uh, liked Fred as a person and uh, really liked his playing. Uh, Fred had appeared on one session before this, um, before he was given this album. Um, he appeared on Babyface Willette's second album called Face to Face. And Alfred was impressed with, uh, with Fred and offered him an opportunity to record under his own name. The record was released, and sad to say, it got a terrible rating in Downbeat magazine. Uh, some critic uh, dismissed the whole session as being inconsequential and uh, not contributing to uh, the music, etc., etc., and gave it one star. So, as I mentioned before, people paid attention to record reviews back then, and Fred Jackson was not exactly a household name, so um, a household name, maybe one one low-rated album would not affect anybody's career. But in the case of Fred Jackson, um, he actually recorded another album for Blue Note a couple of months later, but it was never issued uh, because um, the this album, Hootin' and Tootin', uh, sold so badly because of the bad review uh, that nobody really heard this album. <laughs> and... Uh, that was basically the end of uh, Fred Jackson's uh, Blue Note uh, recording career. Um, and he went back to, of course, uh, his, his roots, which were um, R&B, which is quite obvious from his playing. Uh, Fred played with Little Richard and B.B. King and Wilson Pickett, um, but most prominently uh, played with the great Lloyd Price and organized his band, and was Lloyd's musical director. And uh, the two other gentlemen on this date, Earl Van Dyke, the organist, and Willie Jones, the guitar player, uh, also worked with Lloyd Price. And uh, Wilbert Hogan, of course, was a, a favorite drummer of a lot of people. So uh, he was brought in for the date. But this is uh, an, a tight little band, and of course it didn't deserve this uh, horrible review that it got, but unfortunately that's the way things were back then. And the album was never repressed. Um, it got one pressing, that was it. 
And uh, a few years later, actually became a collector's item. Um, people uh, began to pick up on this album, um, mostly because it was a Blue Note uh, record, but also because it's some damn good music. And um, I would have certainly um, given it a, a much better rating. I had the original LP, uh, which um, I, I sold uh, when this, when the uh, uh, CD came out because the CD had the second unissued session uh, as bonus tracks. So that was uh, a very nice um, addition. Uh, so I'm sure you can find this uh, particular album on the Blue Note catalog or Amazon or whatever, but it's called Hootin' and Tootin', Fred Jackson. And that was our jazz feature uh, this evening. And, of course, the third of this month's features that um, were initially slagged by the esteemed jazz critics. And... uh, um, as I mentioned before, two of them became classics. I wouldn't call this album a, a classic in the sense of uh, a word uh, like as the Lee Morgan album, which we played last week, but um, it certainly is some fine meat and potatoes jazz and uh, just great to listen to and nice, warm-blooded, straightforward music. And so I hope you enjoyed the sounds of Fred Jackson. Next week on our jazz feature is an album by Charles Mingus that got a terrible rating uh, when it was first put out. And you'll be surprised at how great the music is on the Mingus album, but that's for next week. So, as I said, I hope you enjoyed our jazz feature. You are listening to radio station CITR 101.9 on the FM dial, and of course, uh, on your computer for live streaming, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we are going to turn the music now because today is November 18th, and it's the birthday anniversary of an amazing trumpet player who sort of came to prominence with Ornette Coleman. He was basically Ornette Coleman's alter ego, in the early days, and of course they remained musical partners um, right up until their um, their untimely passings. And I'm talking about trumpeter Don Cherry. And uh, no, <laughs> not not that one. Um, this is my real Don Cherry. <laughs> and this uh, we're going to play some tracks from an interesting album that Don Cherry did in the early 60s. He had already arrived in New York with Ornette Coleman, and they were already uh, they'd already shaken up the jazz community with their new music. And um, uh, John Coltrane was very interested in uh, Ornette Coleman's music and went down to hear Ornette uh, in New York as often as he could, um, despite his busy schedule. Um, because, well, Coltrane was very open-minded, and uh, he eventually um, spent some time talking to Don Cherry, and uh, this recording opportunity came up for Coltrane and Don Cherry to record together, and uh, they took full advantage of the situation. The album came out on Atlantic Records and was entitled um, The Avant Guard. Uh, 
Now, I don't know whether you will find this music avant-garde music anymore. Uh, our ears are so accustomed to uh, different styles of jazz. But at the time, that was, uh, of course, it was sort of an in title. Um, the album was recorded in 1960 in July. And we're going to hear Don Cherry on trumpet with John Coltrane on both soprano and tenor saxophone. Percy Heath from the Modern Jazz Quartet is on bass, and the great Eddie Blackwell on drums from New Orleans. And, of course, Cherry and Blackwell were working at the time with uh, Ornette Coleman. And we may even uh, play another tune from this session, but I'm going to play you two to start out with, the two tunes with Percy Heath on bass. The first tune we're going to hear is called Cherico, and, uh, or Cherico, um, and it was written by Don Cherry. And the second tune is an Ornate Coleman composition, delightful piece of music called The Blessing. So here then, John Coltrane with Don Cherry, Percy Heath on bass, and Ed Blackwell on drums. Chirico. <laughs> Thank you. 
We're paying a small tribute to trumpeter Don Cherry, and this is from an album called The Avant Garde, and it was recorded uh, for Atlantic Records um, way back in July of 1960. And John Coltrane, of course, was uh, open-minded. He, um, Ornette Coleman's band with Don Cherry had, uh, of course, already made quite an impression in New York City and was uh, virtually uh, changing the whole sound of jazz music. And, of course, there were, Ornette had, had his detractors, of course, uh, but he had so many people that were interested in, in his music and and um, the the club where they were playing at the five spot was uh, was literally packed with musicians curious to find out like what all this uh, new sound was about uh, coming from Ornette Coleman. Mingus was there, and, and Sonny Rollins, and Thelonious Monk, and John Coltrane. So many people. Anyway, Coltrane was very impressed with uh, Ornette's music, and and really liked Don Cherry, um, the. Uh, trumpeter with Ornette, and of course, basically Don Cherry was Ornette's uh, alter ego. Uh, they came up together and played together throughout their lives, and uh, Cherry was really a big part of the other half of Ornette Coleman's heartbeat, really. Um, however, it was suggested that uh, they get together and uh, and play and make some music together and record this album. So, um, this recording came out with John Coltrane playing both uh, soprano and tenor saxophone, Don Cherry on trumpet, uh, Percy Heath on bass. He he was one of the two musicians in the modern jazz quartet that liked Ornette's music. Percy and John Lewis were big supporters of Ornette. Um, <laughs> Connie Kay and Milt Jackson were not supporters of uh, Ornette. Connie Kay never said anything publicly, but Jackson certainly was very critical of Ornette's music. Um, it's it really funny because that group, the, the, the MJQ, was so tight. Anyhow, um, Percy Heath is playing bass on this one, and Ornette's drummer, uh, Ed Blackwell, uh, is on this session. So we heard two tunes. Uh, the first one was written by Don Cherry and called Chirico, and the second tune was an Ornette Coleman composition, of course, beautiful thing called The Blessing. And I'd like to play you one more piece from, um, they had two recording sessions. One was uh, a couple of weeks later, but uh, Percy was out of town, so they got Ornette's bass player, Charlie Hayden. So basically the rhythm section was Ornette's. Charlie Hayden on bass, Ed Blackwell on drums, John Coltrane. Oh, by the way, just another note, um, we heard the tune, uh, the, the last tune we heard was The Blessing. That was John Coltrane's very first recorded solo on his new instrument, the soprano saxophone. So there you go, a little bit of jazz history right there. That predated by um, several months his famous recording of My Favorite Things. So... Okay, we're going to hear one more. Uh, Charlie Hayden takes Percy Heath's place on bass, and we're going to hear uh, an Ornette Coleman composition entitled Focus on Sanity. John Coltrane, Don Cherry, Charlie Hayden, 
and Eddie Blackwell. Thank <laughs> you. 
That lengthy piece was entitled Focus on Sanity. Uh, it was kind of in two parts. And, of course, it was uh, part of this album, The Avant-Garde, uh, a meeting of minds with John Coltrane and trumpeter Don Cherry. And Charlie Hayden was the bassist and Ed Blackwell on drums. Focus on Sanity. And that was written, of course, by Ornette Coleman. So this uh, has been our small tribute to uh, one of the great voices, uh, one of the most unique voices of the trumpet. I'm talking about uh, Donald Eugene Cherry. He was born in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, on this day in 1936, and passed away in Malaga in Spain, October 19, 1995. He was 58, and of course he uh, spanned um, a whole era of jazz music. Started playing um, when he was in school in Los Angeles. He was born, in, as I mentioned, in Oklahoma City, and then he moved with his family to Watts in uh, Los Angeles and, of course, grew up there and uh, met uh, Billy Higgins and Ornette Coleman and so on and so forth, and the rest is history. Don Cherry and... Uh, so I thought I'd pay a small tribute to my real Don Cherry on The Jazz Show. We're going to return with some classic music by Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie in a very few moments. Um, just to remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca for live streaming. My name's Gavin Walker, and we shall return. The Morning After Show is celebrating its 20th anniversary on Friday, November 22nd at the Rickshaw Theater. Jenny and the Mexicats will be lighting up the stage along with special guest Maria Blues from L.A. and also our local favorites, Roomba 7 and Kawama. The show starts at 8 p.m. on November 22nd. You can get your tickets now for $20 at Red Cat or High Life or buy it online at Eventbrite. Come celebrate 20 years of eclectic sounds and live music on The Morning After Show. X at Mint Records. Silver bells, silver bells. 
We know you'll have a great time at this year's Mint Records Ridiculously Early Xmas Party. Join us at the Red Gate on November 30th for a warm and festive evening of music with Dumb, Tough Age, Necking, Supermoon, Kellarissa, and Jay Arner. As usual, Santa will be giving away presents jammed with goodies from his elves at Audiopile, Nemesis Coffee, Lucky's Comics, and Six Cent Press along with a surprise mint release to the first 50 people through the door. Limited advance tickets are available online or at Red Cat Records and Neptune Records. X. introduction of course we're going to talk about the weather and tonight uh, the rain is going to uh, subside by around midnight and then it's just going to stay cloudy for the, <laughs> the rest of the evening till dawn tomorrow morning uh, with a low down to about seven then uh, tomorrow it'll be clearing in the late morning and we'll have a rather pleasant day uh, tomorrow after it, uh, all the clouds blow away. Um, it's, it'll be a little windy as well with a low of 7 and a high up to 11. Then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we're looking at nothing but sunshine. A little cooler, but sunshine all the same with a lows down to about 2 or 3 and highs between 7 and 9. And then for Saturday and Sunday, the outlook is, um, well, kind of back to November weather. Saturday is going to be cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower with a low of 3 and a high of 9. And Sunday, they're calling for periods of rain with a low of 4 and a high of 8. So enjoy Thursday, Friday, and or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because uh, they're all going to be um, sunny. I like that when they have the one word in the forecast and it starts with an S, sunny. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminum speaking Musqueam people. One of the most incredible partnerships in jazz was Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. Of course, two of the great pioneers. And the way they played together was unbelievable. And uh, there are wonderful recorded examples of uh, Bird and Dizzy uh, together. And just their ensembles and just, just the way the two of them um, just made so much music together. 
These are classic recordings from uh, the very early 40s, well, the mid-40s, February 1945. And the recording industry, there was a ban on recordings for a couple of years because the materials had to go into the war effort. And um, there was also um, the musicians' union had stepped in. Uh, They felt that uh, live music was being jeopardized by recordings and uh, people weren't going out enough so it was uh, affecting um, musicians' living. And uh, that, combined with the war effort, uh, led to um, a recording ban for about two years in the early 40s. And, of course, some of the very early examples of modern jazz didn't get recorded. However, by 1945, everything was all over, and... Uh, Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker, of course, were working together frequently. We're going to hear them on these classic recordings. Dizzy, of course, on trumpet, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone, the late and wonderful Clyde Hart on piano, Remo Palmieri on guitar, Slam Stewart on bass, and Cozy Cole on drums. And these are three classic tunes, um, two of them written by Dizzy Gillespie and Uh, The middle one is a standard, but, uh, of course, it's arranged by both of these guys. The first tune is one of Dizzy's anthems. It's called Groovin' High. And the second tune is um, Parker and Gillespie's interpretation of the Kern-Hammerstein classic, All the Things You Are. And, of course, that arrangement is carried on to this day. That's how that tune is played um, by jazz guys. And the third tune has one of the most beautiful uh, passages of the two horns in unison playing together. And for me, this is one of the high points of modern jazz, is that final recording. And it's a Dizzy Gillespie uh, composition entitled Dizzy Atmosphere. So here then, the immortal bird and Diz.
What can you say about that music? It's just absolutely timeless, beautiful, and uh, the best of jazz music. Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone, Clyde Hart on piano, Remo Palmieri on guitar, Slam Stewart on bass, and Cozy Cole on drums, and three classic uh, Gillespie-Parker collaborations, all done in February of 1945. Groovin' High was the first tune written by Dizzy Gillespie, then the band's arrangement of uh, All the Things You Are, a great standard tune that jazz musicians, all jazz musicians had to learn backwards and forwards, and uh, written by Kern and Hammerstein and arranged by Gillespie and Parker, All the Things You Are. And the final tune, to me, the capper of the whole session was Dizzy Atmosphere. Um, the ensemble passages were just uh, priceless in this piece of music. Written by Dizzy Gillespie. Diz and Bird. Just like to mention a couple of uh, websites before we carry on with some music, some more music, of course. Um, we're going to turn our attention to uh, a, a good friend of mine. We played some of his music last week. Uh, one of the finest guitar players in the country. His name is Ted Quinlan. And Ted was a big part of the Vancouver jazz scene for so many years before he moved to uh, the Big Lemon, <laughs> Toronto. And, uh, of course, he's got a brand-new album out. I think it's his best. But first, I'd just like to mention a couple of websites. Uh, one of them, of course, is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. That's... Um, those are the people that bring you the big jazz festival every year. They produce their own concerts throughout the year. Uh, they are always working. And they do have this marvelous website, which is uh, completely up to date and also has the schedule at Frankie's Jazz Club, uh, one of Vancouver's leading jazz clubs in, uh, down on Beatty Street, right opposite BC Place. And Frankie's has an incredible uh, schedule of music. And, of course, you can access that on the website. You can also book tables um, and do all that kind of stuff. It's very comprehensive. And, of course, see um, the up-and-coming concerts that uh, are brought to you by Coastal Jazz and Blues. So that website is simply coastaljazz.ca, coastaljazz.ca. And the other fine website, comprehensive as well, uh, has a lot of interesting links on there, biographies, and uh, even our jazz features are on there. Uh, if you look up, um, go on the forum, and click on the forum, and then click on Jazz on the Air, and you'll see uh, uh, present and past jazz features on uh, on that link, and that's vancouverjazz.com. That's a very fine website as well. So we've got two of them, coastaljazz.ca, vancouverjazz.com. And, of course, um, always mention Pat's Pub, which, of course, is located in the beautiful downtown east side of Vancouver in the historic Patricia Hotel. Every Saturday afternoon, they have the best in jazz down there, and it's free. It is There's no cover, and you can uh, uh, nurse a coffee or um, an alcoholic beverage. Uh, there's good food down there if you're hungry. 
Uh, it's really a nice atmosphere um, in Pat's Pub at the Patricia Hotel. There's plenty of parking down there, and uh, it's quite safe uh, as well. You know, some people have objected and said, well, you know, it's downtown east side. Yeah, well, of course, it is that way, but it's also pretty safe down there. And also, um, this is Saturday afternoon during the daytime hours, so that's a whole other thing, too. So every Saturday afternoon, they have some of the best in jazz. Uh, Kit Eakle and his brother Matt are playing there with a very special band, and they do their um, kind of bluegrass jazz and, and different, uh, um, different styles. And they're quite a wonderful band. Uh, they'll be playing this coming Saturday afternoon. And the music starts at 3, carries on till 7. And it's always best to get down there a little early, so get yourself seated and settled and all that kind of stuff. And as I said, never, ever a cover charge at Pat's Pub. All right, you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or, of course, for live streaming, www.citr.ca. Brand-new album by Ted Quinlan. And it's called Absolutely Dreaming. And it's a a wonderful um, recording. And you can get this if you you go to uh, www.tedquinlan.com. And that's spelled T-E, all one word, T-E-D-Q-U-I-N-L-A-N.com, tedquinlan.com. Ted is, of course, one of Canada's premier guitarists, and he's put together this incredible album, this beautiful band with Brian Dickinson on piano, Kieran Overs on bass, and Ted Warren on drums. And incidentally, both Ted and Kieran Overs used to live here in Vancouver and performed at all the usual outlets um, and gigged with uh, so many resident musicians, including myself. And, uh, of course, uh, Ted and Kieran moved to Toronto, where they're based now. Two compositions uh, we're going to hear. The first one is called X Marks the Spot, and the second piece of music is called Babylon, and both by Ted Quinlan. So sit back and uh, enjoy his music.
We heard two pieces from Ted Quinlan's latest and I think finest album. It's just out. It's called Absolutely Dreaming. And it was recorded, of course, in uh, Ted's city where Ted resides in Toronto with uh, Ted, of course, on guitar. Brian Dickinson on piano, Kieran Overs on bass, and Ted Warren on drums. And all the compositions on this album are all by Ted. And we opened with X Marks the Spot, and we ended with Babylon, both from this uh, marvelous album. We'll be hearing more from this album down the road. Um, If you're interested in this music and and, uh, the music of Ted Quinlan, he is definitely one of the finest guitar voices in, in the country right now. And you can uh, check out this album and how to purchase it and all that kind of stuff if you uh, go to uh, Quinlan, all one word, T-E-D-Q-U-I-N-L-A-N.com. That's all there is to it. And... Uh, Uh, access um, this album called Absolutely Dreaming. Very fine recording by Ted. We are going to uh, change the pace a little bit. Actually, this includes, um, this next segment includes Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. But, and it's a big but, under the leadership of the one and only, one of the great characters of jazz music, Slim Gaylord. And Slim plays the piano. He plays two-fingered piano. He also plays the guitar, and he sings and narrates and carries on. And this was a special recording session which took place in um, Los Angeles, At the end, uh, Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker made their debut on the West Coast at a place called Billy Berg's and uh, with their band. And, of course, that was a legendary engagement. And um, uh, the squares in Los Angeles uh, were not hip to the music of Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, although many famous movie stars came down um, and, and checked out the band and loved it. And, of course, all the musicians in town uh, loved it. But, of course, uh, the general populace, the music was a little too complex for them and a little too new. And uh, so the engagement was um, a little little bit dicey sometimes for uh, Gillespie and Parker and company. However, the intermission act was Slim Gaylord. And... um, well, there was rumors of a, um, a, a disagreement between Dizzy and Slim Gaylord at one point, but obviously they'd, they'd made up and were buddies when this recording date took place, and it was recorded for a, a small independent label called Belltone Records, <laughs> whoever they are, uh, and they put out um, two um, discs, 78 RPM discs, of uh, of Slim Gaylord and his orchestra with none other than Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone, one of my favorite tenor saxophonists from the West Coast, Jack McVie, and on piano, Dodo Lamar Morosa. Uh, and, of course, Slim is playing 
one-handed or two-fingered piano on one of the pieces and, and guitar. And Bam Brown on bass. And from an earlier era, Zudi Singleton on drums. All of this was recorded uh, just before New Year's Eve, um, December 29th, 1945. And we're going to hear some, um, some music. All the uh, master takes from this session. The first one features Slim's um, two-fingered piano, and it's called uh, Dizzy's Boogie. And uh, the second tune is, was a big hit for Slim Gaylord called Flatfoot Flugee. We're going to hear that one. And then another um, piece of music dedicated to uh, motorcycles, and it's called Poppity Pop. And the final tune is um, a wonderful piece of music uh, that features uh, Slim introducing all the guys in the band. It's called Slim's Jam. So uh, a little bit of uh, musical levity and history-making music as well. So we begin with uh, Dizzy's Boogie. Thank you. 
Thank you. 
day. Look here, Papa. How about setting a riff on the next chorus and we'll take him on out there because he's got here. He got to go and make another gig there. Let's Well, what can you say about that? (laughs) Slim Gaylord and company, along with Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker um, on trumpet and alto saxophone, uh, respectively, and Jack McVie on tenor saxophone, Dodo Marmorosa at the piano, and, of course, Slim um, did the singing and played the guitar and also... um, played some uh, one- or two-fingered piano as well, along with Tiny Brown on bass and Zudi Singleton on drums. And all of that took place in uh, Los Angeles, December 29, 1945. And we heard um, the first piece of music featured uh, uh, Slim's piano playing, if you can call it that, um, and that was called Dizzy's Boogie. And uh, the second tune was a big hit for Slim, um, and that, of course, was the famous Flatfoot Fluji. And uh, tune number three was dedicated to uh, motorcycles, or motorcycles, or as he said, motorcycles. <laughs> Poppity pop. And uh, the final tune uh, is my favorite of the whole set, Slim's Jam. And everybody gets a chance to uh, say their say and, uh, and get on out and Carry on some. Slim Gaylord, legendary uh, performer and uh, one of the best-loved jazz characters. We're going to turn our attention now to the sounds of uh, Hammond organist Charles Irland. And this is a historic recording in that Trumpeter Lee Morgan is one of the soloists on here, and this was his last recording two days before he met his fateful death. Uh, He was shot to death a couple of days later when he was working at the Slug Saloon with his um, own band. And that's a whole other story. But um, he was very much alive on this session. And playing beautifully, we hear um, Charles Ireland leading the band on Hammond organ. Um, There is a trumpet section made up of uh, Lee Morgan, Virgil Jones, Victor Paz, and John Faddis. Um, But Lee Morgan is the soloist on here. And also uh, we're going to hear Hubert Laws on the flute. We're going to hear, there's a couple of guitar players on here, John Furry, Greg Miller, uh, Billy Cobham drives everything along on uh, drums, of course, and uh, Sonny Morgan is on conga drums. And uh, we have a couple of trombone players in the band as well, Dick Griffin and Clifford Adams, and Jack Jeffers on bass trombone. Anyway, we're going to hear a tune that was written uh, for the Chicago um, Transit Authority, um, CTA, and of course the band eventually became Chicago, and it was under the direction of Robert Lamb. And he wrote this tune called Happy Cause I'm Going Home. Charles Ireland.
Always immediately identifiable. Charles Ireland on Hammond Organ. That's from his album called Intensity and um, kind of a historic date in that it was the last recording session by trumpeter Lee Morgan uh, before he read his, uh, his untimely exit from the planet. And uh, just a couple of days before that happened, and uh, a large trumpet section uh, as well as a, a brass section, but the uh, main soloists on here, of course, were uh, Charles Ireland on the uh, on the Hammond organ, along with Hubert Laws on uh, on flute, and Lee Morgan on trumpet, and of course uh, the whole band was driven along by um, Sonny Morgan on conga drums and the great Billy Cobham on drums, and uh, a few other people in there, a couple of guitar players, a couple of trombone players, and some more trumpet players filling out the um, brass ensemble. Anyway, that was uh, Charles Ireland's arrangement of Robert Lamb's Happy Cause I'm Going Home. And Robert Lamb, of course, was the uh, brains behind a great band called Chicago. Wonderful band. Charlie Rouse was Thelonious Monk's main man for uh, over 11 years. And during the uh, 60s, he recorded uh, very few albums under his own name. Uh, He recorded a good one for Epic, which was a quartet album, and uh, one for um, Orrin Keepnew's Jazzland label called Taking Care of Business. That's an excellent album as well. And, of course, Rouse played a little differently when he was away from Thelonious Monk. He did um, 
three sessions for Blue Note Records, but unfortunately only one was ever issued, and that was a Bossa Nova session called Bossa Nova Bacchanal, and that's a good record. It really is, and uh, unfortunately his um, Charlie Rouse's other two sessions um, didn't amount to much. They were aborted uh, for whatever reason. This one held a lot of promise. And as you'll hear from this piece of music, um, it seemed that uh, this was going to be a wonderful recording session. But we'll never know why um, it broke down because nothing else from this session um, was salvageable except this one tune. And the personnel on here, they're all great musicians that, that Charlie put together. And uh, I have no idea what the story is of why this session uh, fell apart after this one tune was uh, um, uh, recorded. And uh, so, therefore, this is the only tune that survived from this particular recording session, which was done in 1965. And it features Charlie Rouse on tenor saxophone with Freddie Hubbard on trumpet McCoy Tyner at the piano, Bob Cranshaw on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. And with personnel like that, uh, the music has got to be good. But for some reason, I don't know whatever what happened. There must be a story connected with it. However, this is the one surviving track. And this is a first take of a brand new composition. And uh, it sounds as if they've been playing it for years. This uh, piece of music is called One for One, and it was written by Charlie Rouse.
One for One, written by Charlie Rouse. And this was the only thing that uh, was salvageable from this uh, aborted recording session. And uh, why it was aborted, I have no idea. But um, what a band. Charlie Rouse, of course, on tenor saxophone. Uh, Freddie Hubbard on trumpet. McCoy Tyner at the piano. Bob Cranshaw on bass. And uh, Billy Higgins on drums. Uh, Definitely an all-star group. And uh, one day I'll unearth that story and find out why that session uh, broke down after that tune. That was the first take of uh, uh, a tune that uh, uh, Charlie had uh, brought to the recording session. And it seemed that the band gelled beautifully on that, uh, on that piece of music. We're going to hear another uh, session from Blue Note that was um, <laughs> rejected. Um, it was led by the great Sonny Stitt, and one of the foremost voices of the saxophone, and he, he plays tenor saxophone on here, and his Sonny's guest is Dexter Gordon. And, of course, these two giants of the tenor saxophone, um, one would expect um, a full-fledged recording session. This is the only salvageable track because the producer of the date, Alfred Lyon, um, got angry. Uh, both Sonny Stitt and Dexter Gordon were feeling no pain on this session. And uh, Sonny Stitt recorded in a very casual manner. Um, he didn't really uh, write a lot of original tunes. Uh, he made them up, um, blues, I got rhythm uh, type tunes. Um, but mostly he played standards and uh, tunes that were familiar to everybody and just played beautifully on them. Um, but Stin, Stitt was rather unambitious when it came to uh, presenting like all kinds of original material and so on. Uh, he prefer, preferred to record um, much more casually. And, of course, this didn't um, please Alfred Lyon. And eventually he, he came racing out of the control room and said, that's it, uh, session's over, I'll pay you guys for, for what it is, I'll never release any of this stuff. Well, years later, this was the salvageable tune from this recording session. And uh, again, it, it shows a lot of uh, definite promise. I wouldn't say it's a great performance, but it is certainly solid. So it's Sonny Stitt with his working band with Don Patterson on Hammond organ, Paul Whedon on guitar, Billy James on drums, and also Dexter Gordon. So it's Stitt, Gordon, and uh, Sonny Stitt's um, band playing Lady Be Good. Have fun with this one. Thank you. 
Again, that was from a session that uh, was never completed. This was the only tune um, that was releasable because uh, Alfred Lyon, the head honcho for Blue Note Records, stopped everything and uh, said he didn't want uh, just this uh, standard stuff. He wanted uh, special original material and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, Sonny Stitt, who was the nominal leader of this session, <laughs> just was, wasn't prepared to do that. That's not the way he recorded. And um, he was um, playing along with um, Dexter Gordon, two of the greatest voices on the tenor saxophone, uh, Stitt and, and Dexter, along with um, Stitt's uh, band at the time, which included the great Don Patterson on Hammond organ, Paul Whedon on guitar, and Billy James on drums. And Stitt and Gordon uh, did their best on Gershwin's Lady Be Good. Mm-hmm. It's too bad that uh, Alfred Lyon, this wasn't uh, up his alley, this, this kind of casual uh, recording that uh, Stitt preferred. So that was the end of uh, Stitt's career with Blue Note Records, but he recorded for every other label on the planet and, of course, uh, made some incredible uh, recordings. We're going to turn now to one of the uh, most soulful, beautiful voices of the alto saxophone. I'm talking about one of my very favorites, uh, Charlie Mariano, originally from Boston. Charlie passed away a few years ago, but he was uh, a major voice on the alto saxophone. And he's part of this album. The uh, leader here is drummer Elvin Jones. And uh, we're going to hear three tunes um, with Charlie Mariano on alto saxophone, Sir Roland Hanna at the piano, Richard Davis on bass, and the leader, Elvin Jones, on drums. And uh, we're going to hear three tunes. The first one um, was written by a gentleman named uh, Bob Hammer, who did a lot of arranging for uh, Charles Mingus. Anyway, he wrote the first tune. It's called Dear John C., dedicated, of course, to John Coltrane. The second tune is another Bob Hammer composition entitled Ballad. And tune number three is one of uh, Charles Mingus's most famous compositions called Reincarnation of a Lovebird. And we may hear a couple more pieces from this uh, marvelous album called Dear John C. But first of all, here's the title track, and of course, check out uh, Elvin Jones, of course, but Charlie Mariano's beautiful alto saxophone playing. Thank you. 
We heard three tunes from this uh, wonderful album entitled Dear John C. And the leader 
was drummer Elvin Jones, and he picked some great musicians. Richard Davis on bass, Sir Roland Hanna at the piano, and the great voice of the alto saxophone, Charlie Mariano. And we heard uh, three tunes from this album. Um, The first two were uh, written by Bob Hammer, and uh, he was um, uh, an aide. Uh, He was an arranger piano player, and he was also... um, helped out uh, Charles Mingus on a lot of his projects. And um, he wrote the first two tunes, the title track, Dear John C., and the second tune, beautiful uh, composition called Ballad. And the third tune was, of course, by Charles Mingus, and that was his famous Reincarnation of a Lovebird, a tune that he wrote for Charlie Parker, played beautifully by... Charlie Mariano, Elvin Jones, Roland Hanna, and Richard Davis. Ending another edition of The Jazz Show. Glad you could stop by. If you uh, came by for a few minutes, great. If you came by for a few hours, wonderful. And if you were here for the whole show, wonderful too. So thank you very much on behalf of uh, yours truly, Gavin Walker, The Jazz Show, and... uh, CITR FM 101.9, or for live streaming, of course, uh, www.citr.ca. We shall see you and um, enjoy yourselves for the next week, and we'll be back next Monday evening with the uh, final show for the month of November. And our jazz feature is a marvelous album that was... um, initially treated very offhandedly by the one and only Charles Mingus. And uh, I'll give you a full explanation of that album and its reception next week. So do join us. And we uh, start the show every Monday night at 9 p.m. We'll see you then. Take care and have a good week. Bye-bye for now.